the Pediatric Lounge, a podcast taking you behind the door of the Physician's Lounge to get a deeper insight into just what docs are talking about today. From the clinically profound to the wonderfully routine and everything in between. Well, hello again. Welcome to this week's episode of the Pediatric Lounge. We will be hosting Dr. Jim Riley, a partner at RBK Pediatrics, board certified in pediatrics, obesity medicine, and lipid disorders. A note to our listeners, I have split the episodes in three parts because of the amount of information. You can always see the complete episode on YouTube and the audio on our website with other references materials. Thank you for listening and help me welcome Dr. This Wright. is a difficult question, but I get the feeling that number one is our lifestyles, and that probably includes a lack of meditation, religion, community, relationships. Two, diet. And three, lack of knowledge, not only in the patients, but on our community of physicians. Mm-hmm. And four would be wrong-headed policies, such as you should drink three glasses of milk every day that's fortified with vitamin D and God only knows what else. And the first one should be with cereal that's fortified with vitamin D and vitamin C that all come into play with this wave of metabolic problems that we're seeing in kids. Is there more or what am I getting wrong? Yeah. So, I mean, so when you are listing off some of those things, yeah, I mean, I would... I would echo that, right? Where I would say that, uh, you know, normally when I see someone, for example, a mom who comes in and the kid is eight years old, one of my big barriers is the food policies in school. So it's almost like I have this poor mom from, you know, some another country where they can't really afford to give them food. Or if they do, the kid just goes to school and they get basically candy for breakfast and candy for lunch. And the, unfortunately, we kind of think it's okay to give kids, you know, Fruit Loops for breakfast, but that is not healthy, right? A lot of times they think that their kid is not exercising enough, and and in truth, they're probably not. I mean, when when I went to school, I had gym every day, and we had recess, and that was basically gym as well, and we were running around like anything. But we all know that, you know, ounces are lost in the gym and pounds are lost in the kitchen, right? So it really has a lot to do with the kids eating foods that are basically unhealthy, but people are fooled into thinking that they're doing things in moderation, but there should be no moderation for unhealthy foods, right? So, moderation so is for healthy foods, right? So we're talking about telling kids they should have a glass of orange juice, a sugary cereal as their breakfast every morning, right? Why does anybody need to drink orange juice? It's, you know, bunch of sugar, right? I don't. <laughs> I don't need it. And the kids don't need it. This is why I was very happy to do this podcast, because what I want to enlist is the pediatricians to kind of talk about this kind of stuff at younger visits. So when our kids are at four months, they get a video from us that talks about they should not be drinking juice, right? So we're starting at the very beginning when like the parents are the most impressionable, and then we start to work on them, right? <laughs> and, you know, trying to make sure that their that their kids are going to be eating healthy, but it's it's hard when they have to fight against the, the culture of unhealthy food. I have a saying in the exam room, which is, you've got control of your kids until they're four and a half. 
So if you don't buy the oranges, you don't buy the sugary snacks, you don't buy the Doritos, potato chips into the pantry, they'll never ask for it. Mm -hmm. Now, once they start having friends and they go to the birthday party and they eat pizza and cake and, you know, whatever soda they're going to get, well, they got to live a little bit. So it's okay once in a while. But, you know, that, that you lose control of them. But in the beginning, it's all up to you because you are the only one that can go to the grocery store, order an Amazon. And if they don't see it in your house, they're not going to ask for it. But what about, ga- what about like soda and Gatorade and things like that? Kids love that stuff. They don't need it. I know they don't need it. But that's what I, every kid that I have seen, they just drink soda nonstop. Everybody- yeah, no, it's, it's, that's why, you know, unfortunately the fructose, which is probably one of the main reasons why we're in such big trouble that actually activates a lot of the addictive parts of their of their brain. And they do go, like you say, crazy for it. If we know that the fructose is addicting, then why are we giving it to them when they're younger and creating all these slaves to these unhealthy drinks, right? It is the thing that if we can protect them from getting these kinds of things, and I don't know if I would disempower the parents because a lot of times this is our job. Our job is to train the parents and then the parents go and talk to other people. And, you know, like if the parent is a teacher, then they, then they're not going to be giving kids cake pops every Friday because they had a long talk with me. Right. It is the kind of thing that it has to come a little bit grassroots before all the people that make the laws understand that this is something that people are going to get behind and, and want to do. Right. But we have to reach that tipping point among our population. And all these health things happen with pediatricians. I mean, you know, seatbelts, all these kinds of things, they all become laws, right? You know, in the city, if they catch you without a helmet, they're going to take your bike. And that happened because pediatricians were telling all the kids, you got to wear a helmet. And then finally, the parents all said, we got to have a law. And then it happened, right? So it's going to all happen with us, right? So if we have parties, and we don't have soda, we don't do all this kind of stuff, we kind of set a good example, then yeah, the kids are going to do great. You know, it's exactly like alcohol, you know, I'll never forget one of the people who worked for us, her kids were invited to only graduation parties where they were planning to serve alcohol to all these kids who were graduating. And, and while I was talking to her, she was kind of like, all of a sudden the light came in her eyes and she realized, you know, Jim, I'm probably, I'm going to have to have the party. And that's what she did. She had a party. They did not serve any hard alcohol and her kids were fine. Everything was fine. And, and that's the kind of stuff we need everybody to do is kind of say, you know what, I value the health and we're just going to do that. And, and, and the only way is to, to kind of get, try to convince the parents that this is something that they can change. So we're going to go back a little bit. So one is lifestyle. Two is the nutrition. For example, is sugar-free Gatorade as harmful as regular Gatorade? Yeah. So first of all, sugar-free on all those kind of things, they have chemicals, right? So, you know, they approve these things, but it doesn't mean they necessarily, they approve them and they did studies on five-year-old kids, right? So that's the first thing, right? That you're, you're a part of the experiment when you give your, your kid one of these kind of sugar-free kind of things. The other thing is like, one of the things I, I tell my kids who come to see me because they're pre-diabetic is they, they've done studies, for example, with Coke and Diet Coke, right? Or maybe I shouldn't say the brand name, right? But, <laughs> and what they do is they, they actually let some people continue to drink Coke and then they give some people Diet Coke. And what they see in the beginning, the Diet Coke people, they do a little bit better for the first six months. But then two years later, the Diet Coke people, they're in much bigger trouble than the kids who, than the people who, the adults, these were adults, who kept drinking regular Coke. 
you don't have to be a rocket scientist. Now that we have all these diet things, it's not like the obesity epidemic went away. So we know that it's not helpful. And, and the exact reason when nobody really understands, but it probably is something centrally acting that when you eat something sweet in your mouth, your brain is like, hey, how come I didn't get my, my drug? And it kind of puts you in this mode of looking for more sugar and carbohydrates, and it can get you into trouble. So what do you do to stay hydrated? Because you need some electrolytes, especially, you know, like the last few days out here in the East Coast when it's been 100 degrees with 80% humidity, you need some electrolytes. You can't just drink water to stay hydrated. Why do you, why do you recommend that people... So- yeah, so I would disagree. You can 100% can drink water and stay hydrated. Now, you do lose salt. So some people who are losing salt excessively, they might have to actually something with electrolytes or make sure they're having salt tablets or things like that. You know, before, before they invented Gatorade, remember Gatorade was invented for the Florida Gators because they were working out in the Florida sun and they were losing excessive amount of salts. And initially, Gatorade tasted terrible, right? So the guy who came up with Gatorade even some of the football players wouldn't, they refused to drink it. They would just pour it on their head because they were like, this stuff tastes like piss, right? And then when the guys bought it, Pepsi bought it, they were like, yeah, no one's going to drink this, right? You know, because the Florida Gators, I think, won the national championship. So they were like, well, we'll add a lot of sugar to it. This actually came to a head with one of the football players on the Minnesota Vikings, Corey Stringer, which it sounds like you've never heard of him, but he was a guy who passed away during training camp because he was drinking Gatorade. And Gatorade does not replace your electrolytes enough. And he went into arrhythmia and, and died. So there is a Corey Stringer Foundation. And nowadays, the football players do not drink Gatorade like they used to. They drink Pedialyte. Right? They mix it half and half, but they won't acknowledge it because they haven't sponsorship from Pedialyte. Well, because Pedialyte Gatorade. tastes like piss. Right? Yeah, so Pedialyte's awful. the kind of thing that they try to do something. There's but, another product called Ceralite, which so is basically... There rice. are things, and I have patients who have pots, and we have them buy the pure electrolyte, but we try to get it without a lot of sugar and things like that. Okay. Well, back to the problem, because there are people who cannot maintain hydration with just water. So they, they should look for some sort of electrolyte pack that they can take with low sugar. So this all depends on the person, right? So, you know, again, before they knew all about the electrolytes, you know, the guys would have salt tablets. If people want to drink Pedialyte, I mean, to tell you the truth, now they advertise Pedialyte on TV and that would probably be the best thing. But how many kids are 300 pounds and they're losing, you know, because like some of these offensive linemen, they'll lose 20 pounds of weight in their workout, right? So yes. they're very different, right? And and to tell you the truth, I don't think that's a smart idea for people to work out like that and lose 20 pounds of sweat. I think that's actually a little it's bit harmful. stupidity, right? Right, so, and they eat two or three chickens, that you know, two whole two to three whole chickens a day because they got so much muscle Then if they don't eat three chickens a day, they lose their muscle you know, almost overnight and melts off of it. And then they stop playing and then they die of 45 from heart disease because they never stop eating like they're working out. It's just also uh, totally crazy. So I don't have diet. those guys as patients because I'm a pediatrician, right? Yeah. I have sad. football players. I advise them to eat enough protein so they can build muscle mass, right? So that's a different, that's maybe a different podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a whole other conversation. And so obviously no sugary drinks. You probably can stay hydrated unless you're a very big person in a certain environment without having to take any, any other electrolytes. And if you're going to take electrolytes, speedy light would be the best and just right. pinch your nose. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, I, you know, yesterday I went for a run outside. It's super hot in the Northeast right now, and I drank water. Yeah. Okay. And so, so what else am I missing about what I need to be thinking in terms of weight management, more precisely metabolic management in kids? We talked about lifestyle. We talked about diet. What else am I missing? It's really 90% diet. I would say another 8% usually is, or 7% is usually sleep, where we have an epidemic of kids not sleeping. And when you're not sleeping, your body is not doing the normal metabolic kind of regeneration that it's supposed to. And I definitely have had some kids that they're like, Dr. Riley, I'm doing CrossFit you know, the last time I ate a card was like three months ago and I'm still not losing weight. What's going on? Right. And, you know, normally I would do the same thing. Like I told you history, physical. And unfortunately, if you're not sleeping, which that's usually the third one is that those kids are usually, you know, they're usually high achieving kind of people. They're sleeping only four or five hours and your body is going to release stress hormones. Just like, uh, you know, when you're an intensivist, you know, you can make anybody gain weight by giving them enough steroids. If your body gives you enough steroids, your idea of losing weight is not going to happen. Wow, that's very interesting. I had no idea about that. When you encounter one of these kids, either because they have anxiety or hyperachieving and they're not sleeping well or just bad habits, other than, than melatonin, is there another medication you might use or recommend for them to sleep? Well, I mean, first it's education, right? So this this is always, so again, like, you know, like what you're saying is kind of like a very doctor thing to say. And I would try to get people to get out of this kind of mindset because the cure is not usually a pill. The cure is getting the person to understand that health is the most important thing, right? But if you have someone that you've tried to work with them, like talk about their health and trying to see, you know, because a lot of times, for example, with sleep, the kids will be high achieving. So they'll say, no, you don't understand, you know, like I never went to medical school, right? You don't understand, I have to work this hard. Usually if I can convince them that, then they don't need things like melatonin. But yeah, if I have someone, for example, the attention deficit people, they're not good at listening. So if I have that, then there are things that we can try, but that would be a very kind of individual kind of basis. But recently I just had a kid who, who does have attention deficit. He doesn't, he didn't come to see me for weight, but we, we gave him some blood pressure type medicine that usually helps to make kids tired. And it would also some help clonidine? with attention deficit. Yeah. Did, but that's, did, but usually but that's rare. You know, that's, that's not a, a common kind of thing because I'm not going to tell the kid who's going to bed at 12 and waking up at six and uh, taking a two hour nap to try to, you know, don't, don't, you know, get rid of that. Usually what we're going to try to do is say, well, do you have to take a two hour nap? Can you set your alarm clock and sleep for an hour and a half? Can you go to bed at half an hour early? I mean, what are you doing for that half an hour? Right. And, and if we can get them to be more healthier, no, I mean, that actually, that actually is one of the things that I've seen just, you know, I just saw a guy that he was in big trouble. He was admitted at a psychiatric hospital. They gave him multiple medicines. Nothing was working. He, he didn't even see me. He just Googled what should he do. And he just figured it out for himself. He's like, I should eat right, mostly meat, vegetables, and some fruit. I should exercise every day and I need to sleep eight hours. And he stopped all his medicines, all his suicidal thoughts went away. The kid was perfect. And I had nothing to do with it. I was so upset because I was like, <laughs> I could have told you everything. But it's the kind of thing that he, he healed himself. I was just like, man, you're like my hero, right? I so let me ask you again. So 
So you would recommend that middle school and up till 70s get eight hours of sleep a night? So they've looked at this. So I give people very concrete recommendations. So what is your normal bedtime when you're in elementary school? It's usually around eight o'clock, right? Because the guys have to wake up at seven, right? When you're in middle school, your normal bedtime is supposed to be around nine because you're supposed to sleep 10 hours. And when you're in high school, you're supposed to sleep eight or nine hours. So normally they go to bed around 10 because they're usually having to wake up at six, right? It depends. If you're a swimmer and you have to be in the pool at 5.30, those guys have to go into bed much earlier, right? The problem is that a lot of times their parents are the same way. They're trying to squeeze everything in their life into the small amount of time that they have. So they always think that that sleep is a like to have instead of a must have, right? As we've learned in the last 10 years about the glymphatic system of the brain, we realize that this is something that's super important. That's how your brain gets rid of its waste while you're asleep. And it's unfortunately not a pump. It's something that the waste products just slowly diffuse into the CSF. And if you're eating right before you go to sleep, the, the lymphatic system is not going to do its job. If you're not sleeping enough, you don't have enough time for the lymphatic system to do its job. And, and it really has caused a lot of this epidemic. Yeah. And also you have to silence your electronic devices. Oh, yeah. The kids are up with the devices all night long. They get notifications. They can't let it go. If it beeps, they have to listen to it. They have to look at it. They get these group chats from their friends. Uh, it's not Jim, everything you do sounds to be very complicated and time consuming and draining. How do you do it? How do we do it? He loves it. He's very passionate about it. Well, a general pediatrician by himself can't no. do that all. Because there's so, still some ear infections to see some checkups to see, some asthma to see. I would kind of say that a little bit different, right? Because that's a thing like you see people say all the time, right? I'm too busy to handle all these patients I have. And you know what? You just hire someone else, right? (laughs) That's actually what we've done, right? I mean, you know, George is super great, right? Because he's like, oh, I'm going to see these obesity people and I'm going to have less, less time. And he's like, knock yourself out. <laughs> so, and then we just hire people to kind of fill those spots. Yeah. I understand the, the last thing you want to do is put a child on medication. But there are some times where they're doing everything they're supposed to do and they get stuck. So if their insulin is really high in the morning, before you go on medication, what could they do to decrease that or improve that if it's not genetic? It's very interesting with the insulin, right? Because... What happens is first there's a damage to your fat cells, right? So this is this is part of the stuff that we never learned, right? And what happens is then after the fat cells and all these things start getting into trouble, people get what we call insulin resistant, which I see that all the time when I do a test where I give the kids sugar to drink and I see their fasting sugar and fasting insulin, and then two hours later I look at their insulin. And some of these kids, their insulin is super high after two hours of having some sugar to drink, right? And so this is kind of like what happens is they eat breakfast, right? And let's say their breakfast is a very sugary meal. And insulin is the master switch that allows us to lose fat. What happens is that they eat a breakfast, let's say they, they're going to school and they're having an apple cinnamon bar, right? All these kind of things that are like just candy. Their insulin goes up and then it goes down. But instead of in me, It goes up and goes down pretty quickly. For them, it goes up and it stays up until it's lunchtime. And then at lunchtime, all the school food is basically sugar or junk. 
and then it never goes back to the way it was before and it goes up and then if they're at, at dinner they're grabbing something quick because they're doing soccer or they're doing whatever you know they grab some pizza now the sugar is going to go up the insulin is going to go up again and then their insulin is going to be high the whole time when they're sleeping when your insulin is high while you're sleeping you're not going to be in balance right because the way that god designed us is sort of like eat the food during the day and then burn the calories at night almost like a hybrid car now they're kind of having the insulin high you're getting a signal to your body do not burn this food go into kind of a low metabolic state and they're going to try not to burn their calories that they've accumulated during the day. And this happens when your insulin is elevated, right? And that's why the fasting insulin is so important because it kind of tells us, yes, this is exactly what the, what's going on in your body. So if you can kind of structure a kid's day where they're not getting that huge insulin spike first thing in the morning, and if their dinner is not a huge insulin spike, and we're saving this exposure to the things that raise your insulin for more like the middle of the day. So how do you do that practically? So breakfast should be some eggs. So yeah. Dinner so should be having a protein. They've fish. looked at that. Yeah. So if you have, it's, it's usually what raises your insulin the most is the combination of fat and carbs. So like a donut, right? So that raises it a lot. If you just had plain bread, it would raise it, your insulin like this. But if you had eggs, with some avocado and whatever, that doesn't raise your insulin a whole lot, then you have an opportunity for your insulin to go down, down, down during the day until you eat and again. Dinner time, but, what kind of protein? Does it matter? Trying to have the healthiest protein you can, but that's like a barrier for some people, right? So a lot of times it's just the cheapest kind of protein they can have. But when I see an older kid, a lot of times they're also nutrition deficient, which we didn't talk about as a barrier to weight loss. But, you know, we have an epidemic of kids who are nutritionally deficient because they're eating foods that have no nutrition, right? So I usually try to see if I can get them to have like half their plate, some kind of protein, the other half, some kind of vegetable, right? So if they could have like chicken with broccoli and carrots, that would be great. And that would actually be, provide them all the nutrition they need, but it also wouldn't raise their insulin while they're sleeping. You said something that was interesting. You said animal protein. So you're not against beef or poultry, pork chops. It's just protein is protein. It's not. So even the most unhealthy protein has more nutrition than a lot of the other stuff the kids are going to eat, right? Now, like I said before, unfortunately, the food producers don't really care about health. So when you buy an animal, for example, that started out grass-fed and then was finished corn-fed, what ends up happening is because the animal's only eating corn, they get more and more what I call dilute, right? Where they're more and more watery, their blood, they're having less and less vitamins in their blood. And for example, the omega-3 fatty acids go way down, almost down to zero. And, uh, you know, that's, that's not as healthy. So that's why we, the Academy recommends kids to have fish twice a week. So that way they can get a source of omega-3 fatty acids. Right. But, but yeah, no, it's, you know, especially I'm dealing with a lot of times with single moms and things like that. Any kind of animal protein they can get is going to be great. It'll be a good source of iron and things like that. We are going to take a break here and come back for episode three. Thank you. You will find links to our co-host and other important notes as well as a timetable of the topics discussed today. Don't forget to follow us on social media and subscribe to wherever you listen to your podcast. Leave us a great review as it helps us greatly. In the meantime, we will see you next week. 
the Pediatric Lounge. The conversations are not intended as medical advice and the opinions expressed are solely those of the host and the guests.